it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. I hope you had a fantastic weekend. We're back in action now. Mike Rowe's going to be with us at the bottom of the hour. You know his theory, How America Works? Well, he's back on it. Second season, about to launch on FBN. Always great to talk to him about what's happening. you got one lawmaker looking to double minimum wage. Wait a second. You're, getting, you're looking to double minimum wage with a bunch of businesses uh, with all these small businesses and what they went through over the last few years with this pandemic, and you're looking to do that, that's thinking country first. And Congressman Ryan Zinke wants to be congressman again, the former Secretary of the Interior, in studio. If you're smart enough to be watching Fox Nation, uh, you'll notice that already. So before we get to the congressman, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think there's about two uh, members of the Hispanic uh, congressional uh, delegation. It's myself and Congressman Vicente Gonzalez, who's also at the border, uh, that feel that Title 42 should be stayed in place. Uh, And the rest of them are going to say, go ahead and lift it. Yeah, uh, that's a little sad. Uh, Can you believe that? Only one clear-thinking Democrat. War on the border. A Border Patrol agent drowned while trying to save a drug trafficker from drowning um, themselves. Ends up saving them and costing him his life. We're still trying to recover. Meanwhile, there's going to be the Hispanic Caucus of the White House today uh, talking about Title 42. But believe it or not, 40 Democrats want to keep it in place. What a joke. Number two. Those types of things really are the purview of the CDC. This is a public health issue. We are concerned about that, about courts getting involved in things that are unequivocally public health. Decisions. Yes. I mean, this is a CDC issue. It should not, should not have been a court issue. Yes, the CDC, uh, it should be all about that. Done with it and finished with Fauci. Doctors are bailing on the usefulness of masks, and Dr. Fauci thinks the CDC should trump the judiciary branch. Can you believe this? This guy's insane. This is China starts fencing in people in their homes with the Omicron variant, many of which, most of which are asymptomatic. They have locked up 25 million people. I'm sure Fauci would be fine with that. Number one. When it comes to Russia's war aims, Russia is failing, Ukraine is succeeding. Russia has sought as its principal aim to totally subjugate Ukraine, to take away its sovereignty, to take away its independence. That has failed. Wow. Uh, Blinken and Austin meet with Zelensky and Kiev. Are we finally ready to make sure the Russians lose this war or just limit Ukraine's loss? We'll bring you the latest uh, from the three-hour visit that they had that was supposed to be 90 minutes in the 60-day war. Also, a uh, special welcome to KQOB-FM in Oklahoma City. Uh, we're thrilled to be on now in that great station, Oklahoma's talk radio. So that's great to know we're on there. And so it's great to see Congressman Ryan Zinke. Congressman, we did some of the best features ever on Fox Nation, thanks to you when you were Secretary of the Interior. 
Yeah, that was that was special. We went under the Lincoln Memorial and and in DC and some of the the greatest sites. And uh, oh, Mount Rushmore wasn't Mount, too bad either. Mount, Mount Rushmore was not bad. You're, you're absolutely right. And uh, and come on out this summer, and we'll we'll find another some right. great, great you, picks. And you want to be congressman again? Montana gets another seat, and you said, "All right, let me try well, it." You know, I tend to be a little bit of a cheerleader uh, lately. Look, Mont, you know, America's not weak. Uh, and don't ever think for a moment that America's weak. We have the strongest military ever assembled in the history of mankind. We have resources. We have energy resources in this country that we can go out 300 years plus. The administration is weak. But there's a big difference between America itself being weak and the administration. I think it's fixable. Uh, leadership matters. Uh, and they're in the House this time. The House is, I think, a little more important than the Senate. The Senate's just got to make sure the confirmations. But the House actually can control a lot of policy by the budget. Uh, So I I think the House, if you get in, we can defund a lot of the things that regulatory and administratively what's going to happen this this next year and things that matter to Montana and our country, you know, guns and water to the U.S. And there's a number of things that this administration is going to do administratively. The House actually, if it does its job, um, which I believe it will, can investigate. My understanding, uh, Jim Jordan's going to be the arm of the investigation. On the other side of the budget, we're going to have to crack open the budget and show that we can take an out-of-control budget and bring it in control. You know, and and I can fix the border in three or four weeks, uh, build the wall, empower the Border Patrol to do their job, no more catch and release, process in Mexico. I can fix energy as we did before. You know, when I, when I walked in as, as secretary, we were 8.3 million barrels a day as a country and declining. Two short years, we were 12.5 million barrels a day, the world's largest exporter of energy across the board. We lowered emissions and had the greatest safety record Ever in this country. Right. So if you let America run and do what we do best, no one can compete. And we're down to around 11.2, right? I think we were at 12.8, now 11.2. And, of course, the energy industry deserves full credit for the fracking. Uh, the horizontal uh, fracking has been unbelievable with this uh, shale oil. Well, and this administration just put in more NEPA restrictions. It almost guarantees what that, are those? that uh, it's the... Uh, environmental protections uh, on it for building facilities. They they just strangled our ability. At the moment, we should be building facilities, building pipelines, building natural gas terminals to deliver fuel for our allies right. and shore up our our energy independence. Well, this administration is canceling leases. We can't we can't drill in the National Petroleum Reserve in Alaska. Keystone Pipeline is important for the heavies, and they've just uh, put a torpedo in the side of building facilities that we need. So Anwar got the green light with the tax reform. Yeah, but you what, know, what took so long to get it? If you guys just started drilling when you when it passed, but there was all types of problems in Alaska, right, with the Republican governor. Well, and and uh, Anwar, it's a little bit. Uh, misleading. It was a, it was a 10.02 section within the ANWR that was segregated. When ANWR was, was formed, there was a section in there that, that was to be developed when the time was right. That was a law. So there was a 10.02 section there. But we can't even uh, get resources out of the National Petroleum Reserve in Alaska, and that's separate from the Anwar. Wow. I mean, that's how bad it is. They bad told them to is. cut back on the, on the planning. I want to get your expertise with your uh, military background on what's happening in the Ukraine. First off, why was it that our intelligence people 
and I have totally respect for their job. I can't do their job. But I'm kind of let down that we had no idea. Uh, evidently, their assessment was 96 hours Ukraine would fall, Kiev would fall. Uh, my assess- Their assessment was that, uh, that Russia was going to take over that country in 72 hours uh, by some. So the administration said 72. The intelligence experts said 96. And no one thought that the Russians were this much of a hollow giant. Well, it, it has exposed a significant weakness in combat readiness of Russia. You know, they have fine equipment. The T-90 is a great tank. It's got a 125 millimeter on it um, in, in reactive armor. But they've lost hundreds of these tanks. And you, and you look at it, and Ukraine is not Pakistan. It's not India. It's not China. So you look at Ukrainian military strength, uh, probably in the top 20. But you're right. The, the prediction was Russia was going to stay in third gear and overrun yeah. Ukraine. That didn't happen. And what we instead found, uh, you had green troops, you had logistics problems, even in fuel. Reluctant had, troops. Reluctant Who were totally troops. confused about their mission, who was sitting on the border for months and didn't know what was going on. But evidently, they weren't being fed. Well, but also, you know, what was our message, right? And this is an administration that I think looks only through two lenses globalism and global warming. Uh, it's almost like they have a telescope with two flawed lenses that they're making every decision on. And by globalism, we stood there and, well, we want to have a unified front in NATO. This is a NATO that when, when it kicked off, when Russia invaded, Germany, by their chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff equivalent, surged everything they had forward. They surged 150 troops, three armored personnel carriers, and a missile battery. That's what Germany has. Right. And President Trump was exactly right when he called it for what it was. NATO, you're not spending money on, on ammunition in your military. You're spending your money on social I- I- endeavors, and it's going to cost. And you've got to pay your share. Oh, Remember that one. And, and look what happened. NATO, without the U.S., NATO is a fine idea without capability. Right. But the thing is, they, they did fight with you guys in Afghanistan. A lot of people didn't think they did enough, but they did say, OK, we'll declare war. They evidently did declare war with you on Libya, whatever that was, was disaster. Uh, but and the Ukrainians evidently were impressive. You would tell me better uh, fighting, uh, fighting force, fighting with Americans. They actually helped even with the evacuation of that disastrous exit from Afghanistan. But in a three-hour-long meeting, uh, Secretary of Defense Austin and Secretary of State Blinken met with Zelensky. It was supposed to be 90 minutes. They took a train from Poland. Great symbol. They're going to announce that we'll put an ambassador in place. I did not know there was no ambassador in place. My bad. They're taking the one from Slovakia, putting him in leave, then eventually uh, Kiev. From what you've seen with the allocation of another $700 million, are we giving them enough to win against Russia or push Russia back or contain them? I think we're giving them some equipment. And I'm a big advocate for Reagan. You fight for freedom where freedom's in peril. doesn't mean you put troops in, but you give tactics, techniques, equipment. Uh, we should be giving UAVs. You know, javelins are great, obviously very effective against the armor. Artillery is interesting because artillery is, is not a discriminant uh, weapon. Artillery is, uh, you know, is as it is. And what we're seeing, the, the Russians, when they do artillery, they're – they're targeting civilians. It's it's barbarous. Uh, it's truly, the face of evil. But I think we can be be giving a lot more. Um, we should be pushing Russia to make sure we have corridors for humanitarian aid. And if they don't deliver it, you know, we can do a Berlin airlift type operation too. We we're capable. We, you, of that. you would do that. You would put a the fight for freedom 
uh, you know, in, I can't in believe this we can't case. drop them with drones. We drop everything else with drones. They carry Hellfire missiles. They we're supposed to deliver Amazon packages. We can't drop some some. Well, and we can do a lot more with drones. The drones are. It's interesting on drone warfare. We're, we're watching some of the, the Turkish drones be very effective against armor. We should be pushing that that capability. You know, and oftentimes, uh, you know, a pilot in a conics box, it should be a Ukrainian pilot pushing the button. But we can provide a lot of assistance on that. All right. I want you to hear what David Martin said, a CBS national security correspondent, about what he thinks of the Russians so far and what, what the U.S. thinks what the Russians have done. Cut six. Well, they certainly have a fighting chance. Uh, just uh, uh, the battlefield rule of thumb is the attacker needs a three to one advantage over the defender and uh, Russia tries for a seven-to-one advantage, and they just don't have those kind of numbers. Beyond that, we've been talking for weeks about all the shortcomings of the Russian military, poor morale, poor uh, command and control, poor logistics. Those are not the kind of problems you solve in a few weeks. An American defense secretary once said, you go to war with the army you have. And that's the army they have, which makes me, when we come back, I want to talk about um, move on a little bit. But just from what you think, from what you know right now, Congressman, project for me, how long do you think this will go and what do you think the outcome will be? Well, we're rudderless. In what is our desired outcome? Uh, are we, are we going to allow them to just, just take a portion take, of the country? Well, that seems to be what, what this administration is. I haven't seen a clear plan of what the end state is. In my mind, I don't think there's a reset button with Putin. I think he's the face of evil, and the criminal war charges uh, should should be levied. Uh, On the commanders as well. Absolutely. Uh, You you can't uh, willingly, knowingly target civilians, and and the scenes are gut-wrenching what's happening. It's cowardice. They don't want to take on the Ukrainian military. They want to take on 80-year-old grandmothers. Well, and you can see the effects of artillery because uh, the Russian game plan is just pound and grind into submission, uh, and unfortunately uh, it causes loss of life and an enormous amount of pain. Right. Uh, you know, and you see the pushback finally in, in, the, in the World Forum, but I don't see there's a reset uh, you know, with, with Putin. And now we're delivering artillery. I assume that's the target, their artillery, artillery, artillery. It will be somewhat indiscriminate. Right. Uh, but I think surgical weapons, uh, UAVs, thermal imaging, those weapons that give our troops the advantage in the battlefield, uh, pushing the technology is what we should be pushing. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So when we come back. Well, I want to talk about immigration and how the congressman wants to go back to Congress in Montana and the role he'll have uh, if they do. If the Republicans do do what everyone expects, and that's get the majority. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Title 42 is not consistent with our values, and it doesn't keep us safer. Uh, The Biden administration is putting plans in place to deal with people who are asking for uh, amnesty and humanitarian relief at the border. 
but keep in mind, we need comprehensive immigration reform. And that's something all the Democrats are on board for. We have to work out the details. We still need to be in that fight, though. That's where we need to make significant change. Uh, that is Elizabeth Warren. She's, uh, you always count on her being detached from reality. With me right now is Congressman Ryan Zinke, the former U.S. Secretary of the Interior, who's also spent a, a lot of his quality years as a Navy SEAL. Congressman, your reaction to the senator said Title 42 is not, not equal to our values? Uh, you know, uh, the, the it, pandemic's not equal to my values either. It's hard to get inside of her head. Uh, the border, you know, I was talking with, with President Trump the other day, and, and we, can, we can finish the wall in three weeks. Uh, I'd, I'd say maybe four weeks. Well, we can fix the, the border in a matter of weeks, and we, we have to stop the bleeding. And you've got to empower the Border Patrol to do their job. That means no more catch and release, process in a third country. You also have to empower ICE. Uh, they go after the sanctuary cities, the drug trafficking, the sex trafficking. So finish the border. And there's places in the, in, on the border you're not going to be able to build a wall. There's, you know, Big Bend National Parks down there. There's 2,000-foot cliffs. Yeah. Uh, we have Indian reservations you have, you're going to have to n- negotiate with. But by, by and large, we can secure. It seems this administration doesn't want a border at all. Uh, they're borderless. And it goes back to globalism, right? No border. Uh, yeah, yeah, there is comprehensive reform. But let's make sure we control the border, and then we're going to have to figure out who's in this country, Brian. We have no idea who is in this country. About two anymore. million have come since President Biden took over. And we don't even know who's two blocks away from here. Right. And there's been a number of terrorists, a number of people that are on uh, different different watch lists come across. Uh, we're going to have to find out who's who's in this country. Uh, it, it is absolutely. Do you fixable. think people vote on this? Uh, yes, you know, in in, in Montana. You know, we're a long ways away from the border, but we have drug trafficking, sex trafficking, and, and it's coming right up the gut from the southern border. There's a little activity in the northern border, but nothing compared to the southern border. And it affects every town across America is there's drugs and sex trafficking in, and there's gangs. Well, well and it's do you all know over the up. weekend, more, vi- more planes in the middle of the night arriving on Westchester County, small airports, full of unaccompanied minors. Then they go into the school system, working class areas, who have no political power. Well, and it takes a lot of resources when children are behind. You're taking a child. and Doesn't speak and, English. And I have, a, I, have a, I have a big heart for children, absolutely. But you take a child, you dump them into a school system, they're 9 or 10 years old, they don't have a background, they, so it takes an enormous amount of local resources even to get those kids in the classroom you know, for, on the first day. Right then, you have the healthcare system, a, a number of issues. You know, I am pro-immigration, but we got to do it legally, right? Uh, because you, you got to you got to vet who's here, Congressman. If you uh, people want to support you, run for Congress. Where do they go? Yeah, RyanZinke.com. And but there's some good news. You know, I, I'm a little bit of a cheerleader. Come on, America, this is our country. We can fix it. Leadership matters. He's going back, Congressman going Ryan Zinke. Uh, he's got the nomination going to fill that uh, brand new seat. Thanks, Congressman. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. What happens on airplanes today is really more just check a box. It is not effective. Why? Because, first of all, you have most people not wearing an N95. They're wearing a face cloth covering or even a surgical mask, which is not uh, effective in reducing transmission. Then when you get on board, if you're eating or drinking, you don't have to have something on your face. And then finally, about a quarter of all people wear it underneath their nose, which is like closing only three of the five screen, uh, screen doors on your submarine. And so that from that perspective, they, it really isn't all that effective. And so I think that what we want to do is stop talking about masking and talking about effective respiratory protection. So that is Dr. Michael Osterholm. And the big debate in this country last week when a judge said uh, there's no way the CDC can continue this uh, mask resolution. It makes no sense. And everybody went crazy. I loved it. I was on a plane twice last week without a mask. Then quickly, LaGuardia and JFK in New York said, no, 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 you got to wear a mask. I didn't wear it. No one enforced it. I also get on the railroad. No one enforced it. Um, Well, I bring that up because it affects everyday life. Uh, It certainly uh, affects everyday work. Mike Rowe is joining us now. He's a host and narrator, executive producer of How America Works. It's on Fox Business. He's CEO of uh, Mike Rowe Works and host of The Way I Heard It podcast and host of Dirty Jobs, which is back again, and host of Six Degrees with Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe has to put his name in everything, and that's the bigger story. The bigger story is, what is so, what, why is Mike Rowe, again, his name's in the title, so insecure that he has to put his name on everything? Uh, but this is season two of FBN Prime, and it kicks off, uh, it kicks off tonight. It, it starts at 8 o'clock. Mike Rowe, welcome back. Again, I have to use your name again. There's just so much accurate information in all of that uh congratulations you got i mean like 90 percent brian 90 percent you crushed it and it's true my name's in a lot of titles and my full name is in a lot of titles because most people they don't call me mike and i don't understand why you know i walk into a room and people would go there's brian there's steve there's mickey there's john there's mike Rowe, there's sally there's frank why is that you know i I don't know i because my name is fun to say it is it is fun. It is fun to say. Yeah. But what's inaccurate? Yeah. It's 8 o'clock tonight. It's season 2 starts. It is. And it's, um, modesty aside, take it from Mike Rowe. It's pretty good. Ah. Um, <laughs> this is kind of... I love it, seriously. Like, well, it's dirty jobs without me literally in it. So it's not about my point of view. We, we get our cameras into the most important industries in the country. Uh, the airline industry for instance, beef, oil, textiles, sugar, salt, aluminum. Uh, tonight we premiere with law enforcement, as we've talked about endlessly. It's been a tough time to be a cop these last couple of years. So we go down to uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, and we spend a week or so with the cops down there and give people a really honest look at what it's like to be a cop in this day and age. And super proud of the series It's done really well on Fox Business, and uh, they keep ordering more of how America works with Mike Rowe. How could I say no? Mike, the other thing is you made a decision, I think it was 10 years ago. I'm tired of working for people. I want to own this stuff. And that was a great decision. And so instead of, like, Mike Rowe hosts the series, you're in every element of it. Well, look, I mean, it's part of its hubris, but honestly, it's really just more about being able to be connected to, to the stuff you do. You know, it's it's hard to articulate. I think for people outside of our industry, it's a little weird to understand. 
But it's a very different thing to narrate a program, for instance, that you don't own or that all you do is walk in and read somebody else's words. It's fine. That's how most of the industry works. But if you're going to put your, you know, your sweat and your and your thought and your care Mm -hmm. into a project, then you can't mail it in. You know, whether you're in the field or not, you know, whether you're producing, whether you're narrating. So I just got to the point in my career where I just thought, you know, why work on anything that I don't that I don't care about? I spent 20 years working on stuff that didn't matter to me. Right. And, you know, for the last 20 years, I'm I'm trying to make amends. You know how it goes. Well, I don't really try to make amends because I don't make any mistakes. Uh, so the, other, will. the other thing is to, to I'm listening to this micro axiom. You know, own it, and then this way you're just not saying words. So do you think I should ask Lachlan for a piece of the company? I don't think you should ask him. I think you should just simply... um, Take it? No, (laughs) just assume it's already happened, and then just start thinking about it, right? This is how you... This is how you imagine your future. Right. Just just imagine you've had the conversation with Lachlan. Imagine it went well, and then write a nice, thoughtful public post thanking him for his generosity and see how it goes. All right, and that's a guy that knows that once we hang up, you don't have to keep in touch with me, so you feel no personal responsibility if my career goes south after that. So uh, just to your topic of, of law enforcement, I thought this struck us, that Christopher Ray was on last night on 60 Minutes, and one of the questions was about violence against law enforcement, and, uh, and he doesn't think it gets enough attention. Cut 38. Violence against law enforcement in this country is one of the biggest phenomenons that I think doesn't get enough attention Last year, officers were being killed at a rate of almost one every five days. An alarming percentage of the 73 law enforcement officers killed in the line of duty last year were killed through things like being ambushed. Wearing the badge shouldn't make you a target. I mean, that, that, that's one thing, because if you don't have law and order, that's one thing. So you, ask, you have to have uh, officers do it. But if you don't f- respect the people who have to enforce the law and order, all hell's broken loose. And that's pretty much the story in every major city in this country. You're right. And that story, look, we can point a lot of fingers and blame a lot of people for for why this war has been waged on cops. But to me, and what you'll see in, in the show tonight, is just a complete misunderstanding of the perspective. I mean, there, there are over 800,000 cops in this country. And when you really look at the numbers, when you look at the, the the tiny fraction of a percentage that get themselves in some kind of uh, public drama, it's it, not to make it small, because obviously nobody nobody hates a bad cop worse than a good cop. But the amount of attention that we have paid to cops who abuse the badge versus those who just show up day after day, do their job, care about their community deeply. You know, the majority of cops never draw their gun in their entire career. Right. And that doesn't make for splashy headlines. People don't write much about that. But we started to see, in my view anyway, over the last year or so, we've started to see what happens when we turn law enforcement into the enemy. Likewise, we've seen what happens when we turn work into the enemy, when we turn energy into the enemy. We we seem to be turning on ourselves in so many different ways and looking with a complete lack of gratitude and a complete lack of respect 
at the most important industries in our country. And so, you know, we've talked about this before. It's that it's that weird thing that happens in our species when we start to resent the very thing that we rely upon. And we're doing it now in so many ways. We're doing it with energy. We're doing it with food. We're doing it with skilled labor. And, of course, we're doing it with cops. And it is, uh, well, let's just say we do that at our peril. I, I hope you. to some degree this series can uh, can help challenge that, maybe turn those ideas around a little bit. The other thing I noticed, too, is that we're the only network by far, and no one's even close, to defend police. You know, we'll point at George Floyd. We're never going to say, oh, that's uh, you're seeing it from the wrong angle. No, obviously it's not. But you, you want to reform law enforcement without law enforcement in the room. Finally, people petered out on that. Finally, the president of the United States is saying, I, I never said refund, uh, defund the police, although Cori Bush, a Democratic congresswoman, says it every day. So they say we're crazy yeah. that we actually recorded some of the comments. So having said that, I want to pass, go to another area of your expertise, and you mentioned before, about work. Now, I'm all for people are hard, you know, getting the most they can uh, for the work they put in. But it's got to be within the realm of profit and viability. You have another lawmaker coming out and said $15 uh, is so yesterday. $30 an hour should be minimum wage. Mike Rowe, is there a downside to $30 an hour minimum wage? <laughs> I mean, look, the obvious question is why not 40 right. Why not 50 why not 60? Uh, it's not about the number. And every time somebody comes out with a new fixed number, the media takes the bait and they talk about the number as if, OK, 15 was reasonable, but 18 isn't or 18 was reasonable. Uh, and so forth. It, it's look, it's to me, it's a bigger conversation about a shortcut. Most of my friends who I disagree with on policy agree with me in terms of what we'd all like to see. Yeah. The question is, you know, can you, can you really fix a problem by fixing a price? Can you fix a problem by fixing a wage? And I, like I just told Steve Ducey an hour ago, I, I'm not an economist. I, I don't really truly know, but I've been alive long enough to look back and I can't find a single instance where this works. I can't find a single instance where the unintended consequences of artificially fixing a rent or raising a wage Mm -hmm. has somehow magically escaped us. This is going to dramatically accelerate robotics. It's going to eliminate the lower rungs on the ladder. And I hesitate to even say it like that because all the rungs on the ladder are important, but in my experience, it's the ones on the bottom that are the most critical. Right. That's where you to climb. That's where you start. I don't know any small businessmen or women who can start somebody out at $30 an hour. I, I just don't right. know. Especially them. now and, after okay. they've been stressed over the past from 219 on, trying to get their feet, uh, get their legs in uh, uh, underneath them again, knowing that the crime is an issue. In New York City, one of the big stories, he's smash and grab and shoplifters. This just ties your whole series together. Uh, It's making it impossible for these deli and bodega owners to exist because no one enforces the shoplifting. When they grab a person, they know they're going to get out again, and cops know there's no bail, so they're not even even arresting them. 
So now all of a sudden it doesn't pay to have a business. And now you're going to go to get that supermarket worker and get $30 an hour, which means you the ones getting 30 I'm going to want 50 Yeah, yeah. Look, there's something else going on here, too. And since you started with the airplane thing, let's go back to that for a second. It's when you talk about unintended consequences uh, and when you talk about telling people to do a thing that those people deep down believe isn't rooted in logic, then you get the kind of situation you described at the airport where everybody is just ignoring the law. Everybody just realizes, look, we know this thing is a sham. We know the ma- Osterholm just said these masks are not terribly effective. I mean, look, he's the expert, but what I think he meant to say was they don't work at all. A cloth mask doesn't work at all. It doesn't fit, and there's not a shred of science to suggest that it's effective. And yet, we've been told for two years that we simply have to wear them. And so we're in this weird space where we're all in compliance, but we're really not out of danger. And we've got the whole risk-reward paradigm all upside down. And you've got millions of people doing something that deep down they really, they really don't believe works. Of course. And it wears you down, dude. Oh, listen, right. tell it's me weird. about it. Uh, and these other people that won't take it off, and they're mad at you for not wearing one. Are you kidding? Uh, here's Anthony Fauci. This is part of the idiocy that we've been in the middle of, led by this man, in my view. Cut 12. Those types of things really are the purview of the CDC. This is a public health issue. We are concerned about that, about courts getting involved in things that are unequivocally public health decisions. I mean, this is a CDC issue. It should not, should not have been a court issue. So he wants the CDC to rule over our country uh, indiscriminate of any of the other branches of government. So if the CDC says it, which means the teachers union wants it, we've already discovered those emails, so that they want to extend another two weeks to further study the effectiveness on public transportation, and mask use. They've already had two and a half years, but they need two more weeks. When a judge steps in and says there's no basis for this, that's something the judges shouldn't do. I did not know that that medical opinions should rule how we live our lives. We can have the big conversation about which entity ought to rule our lives, as you say. Um, I think you and I probably agree that it, that it shouldn't be the CDC. However, so? yeah. the bigger question that I wish more people asked was, is this persuasive? Is the CDC being persuasive? Because we, we deserve to be persuaded. We don't need to be told to go to our rooms because it's time to go to our rooms with no explanation. Thank that you. might work when you're eight, but at some point, Adults need to be persuaded. Somebody needs to make a rational case that says, here's why this needs to work. Here's why we want you to do this. And then a rational people can sit back and say, okay, you know what? I find that convincing or that makes sense to me. Or in this case, no, I don't think it makes sense to take down a cloth mask that I wear under my nose and put up between bites for two years. I just don't I don't find that persuasive. And yet, if we push back, if we ask, well, then you know how the argument goes. Right. We don't like science. And who are we? That's right. How dare we? That's right. That's why Micro talks in hypotheticals. But I know. But I know exactly what you mean. I I see. I see exactly what you're getting. But you just don't want to be canceled or suspended. I don't mind. 
Uh, Micro, I can. I, I cannot wait for your series tonight. Uh, How America Works, back on Fox for season two. You bet. With Micro. Thanks, Brian. It's always exciting. It's always great. You can never just call him Mike. It's Micro. Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I think Merrick Garland was burned last year when there was that scandal over uh, the Justice Department sicking the FBI onto parents at school board meetings. Uh, I believe that he has just no appetite to uh, ruin his reputation further by being seen to be covering up for the Biden family. So uh, he will just let this run, let, let justice take its course. And that's, of course, uh, Miranda Devine talking about the new revelation, not new to her, too, but to us, that Eric Sherwin had 19 visits to the White House and a sit down with the vice president, at least one, uh, and also commented on Joe Biden's personal taxes. Who is he? He was the former head of Hunter's now dissolved Rosemont Seneca. What was he doing meeting with the vice president with his son's business? Remember, President Biden, when he was vice president, when he was an aspiring presidential candidate, he told our reporters that he does never, ever discuss businesses of Hunter, Hunter Biden's businesses, never discussed it. Even though he was in the New Yorker magazine telling Hunter Biden, according to Hunter, I hope you know what you're doing, son. He said, I know I do. When they were talking about a board membership on Burisma. Why would the head of Rosemont Seneca be meeting with Jill and Joe Biden? Why was he going to the White House so much? Meeting with Anthony Blinken's future wife. Oh, by the way, Elon Musk is getting very close to buying Twitter. Uh, It all came together over the weekend. I'll be talking about that. Monday edition, Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. Thanks so much for listening. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, but heard around the country and hopefully heard in the Ukraine uh, because we're certainly pulling for that country who showed us really how to fight. Uh, a special thanks to Oklahoma City's KQOB. We're privileged to be on that station now. They are now carrying us, and uh, it's going to be great. It's called Oklahoma's Talk Radio, and we've been to Oklahoma City, I think, for my last four book tours. So I really got a sense how great it is. Uh, we're also love to be on in Tulsa, love Oklahoma in general. And we always have Senator Langford on, too. He's, uh, he's always a big proponent. So before we go any further, we're just covering the other news. Uh, Elon Musk looks like he's zeroing in on buying Twitter. Man, what a turnaround in a few days from the shock to the poison pill. And now we might as well give in. 
We'll follow that story, but first let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think there's about two uh, members of the Hispanic uh, congressional uh, delegation. It's myself and Congressman Vicente Gonzalez, who's also at the border, uh, that feel that Title 42 should be stayed in place. Uh, And the rest of them are going to say, go ahead and lift it. Is that crazy? The Hispanic caucus, 42 members, goes to meet with President Biden. He's bleeding Hispanic voters. And now it looks like all but two are going to say lift Title 42, which means the border is going to be flooded with 18,000 a day. The war on the border. A Border Patrol agent drowned while trying to save what turned out to be drug traffickers who were drowning. Now he loses his life. He is a National Guardsman there for, uh, for Texas. And there, after fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan, unbelievable. Number two. Those types of things really are the purview of the CDC. This is a public health issue. We are concerned about that, about courts getting involved in things that are unequivocally public health decisions. I mean, this is a CDC issue. It should not, should not have been a court issue. This fake affectation like he's the smart one. Dr. Anthony Fauci. Done with it and finished with Fauci. Doctors are bailing on the usefulness of masks. And Dr. Fauci thinks the CDC should trump the judiciary branch. I kid you not. The guy is insane. This is China starts fencing people in their homes with Omicron. And most are asymptomatic. 25 million. I'm sure Fauci is fine with that. Number one. When it comes to Russia's war aims, Russia is failing. Ukraine is succeeding. Russia has sought as its principal aim to totally subjugate Ukraine, to take away its sovereignty, to take away its independence. That has failed. Really? Thanks. Tony Blinken and Secretary of Defense Austin meet with Zelensky in Kiev. We are finally ready to make sure the Russians lose this war. Is that the case or just limit Ukraine's loss? We'll bring you the latest from this three-hour visit that was supposed to be 90 minutes as they hopped on a plane and went to Poland. Now, I since have heard that Russia's gotten their oil depot hit inside their country by Ukrainian rockets, and the Russians have blown up or took aim at five separate railroad tracks, almost a symbol, America, we know you're there, and we know you left. With me right now is a guy there, I hope, Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Michael, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Thank you. Well, uh, Michael, do, are you happy with the, the show of support the Ukrainians got with the Secretary of Defense and Secretary of State in, in Kiev today? Well, look, Brian, I think it's awfully late in the game for a show of support. Uh, you've either got to put it up or shut up. And the the weapons that the Ukrainians keep asking for uh, to, to protect themselves better and to, and to hit these Russian convoys, uh, it makes no sense that we're holding back Anything. out of fear yeah. that Putin will see it as uh, escalatory. I mean, what more does he have to do to convince us that he intends to destroy Ukraine and kill every person into, in it if he has to? I mean, at some point, we're, we're only helping to prolong the war. We are not giving Ukraine what it needs to actually claim victory and, and drive Russia out. And I, it, it boggles the mind that here we are now two months into the actual war, uh, and for months before that, uh, Putin was massing the troops 
Well, we kept predicting uh, that he was going to invade. So, and yet here we are. We're still playing catch up. We're still acting as though, well, he moves and then we counter move. But it, it, this is all within a defensive measure within the right. country that he's destroying. So we've got to change this dynamic. And I hope that Austin and Blinken really made con or were at least convinced by Zelensky that we're not doing enough. And again, this is not a call to send American troops or anything like that. It is simply to give Ukraine what it needs to win. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing uh, before we get to your topic of your column is this mass debate in this country. A judge lifts it and now LaGuardia and Philadelphia and others look to put it back into their airports. Well, can't touch the ruling on the actual airplane. I flew twice. Most people took the mask off. And I don't know what New York – I should stop saying that because New York is just going to uh, just try to destroy people's lives as much as possible. But listen to Anthony Fauci when, he, when the judge lifts the mask mandate, cut 13, cut 12. Those types of things really are the purview of the CDC. This is a public health issue. We are concerned about that, about courts getting involved in things that are unequivocally public health decisions. I mean, this is a CDC issue. It should not, should not have been a court issue. Really? Is that it's a CDC issue, what, which means it's a teachers union issue? So do we want the CDC deciding what we can do and can't do? Well, you know what? What's stunning about that comment, Brian, is that he, he's totally ignorant of the Constitution of the United States. I mean, he, I'm sure he took an oath to defend the Constitution. This is a federal court making a constitutional ruling that a federal agency has exceeded its authority. If the courts can't do that, what can they do? Uh, should they not be able to rule on, on highway issues, on, on school issues? I mean, why would you carve out the CDC and say, oh, Supreme Court, you can't touch that? I mean, it's, it's a stupid argument to make from a man who certainly knows better, but I think it is, it is a sign that Fauci is drunk on power. Who are you to contradict me? I am science. I mean, that is the tone he has taken throughout. And you said earlier, you know, finish with Fauci. I'm with you on that. I mean, this guy, he stayed too long at the party. He drank too much from the punch bowl. Time to move on. Yeah, you're too bad the president can't realize that. Uh, the, the country has shut him off. Dr. Shah Ja, who took over there, the new White House COVID-19 response coordinator, kind of walked it back, you know, subtly because he knew he made a mistake. Uh, we'll move on. Do you think the president of the United States uh, is not living up to his uh, to his proclamation that he's going to be a no malarkey president? You see a lot of BS in him. It's unbelievable. I mean, when you just look back at, you know, the the whole just last week, for example, I mean, on inflation, he keeps talking calling it Putin price hike. I mean, it, it, it's a gimmick. It, it, it's BS. There's no truth to it. Yes, the war has driven up the price of oil, but the the, the, the starting point was Biden uh, shutting down the Keystone Pipeline and making it more difficult in many cases for American producers. I mean, it's not about Putin. We could have overcome all of this had had Biden's policies been in sync with America's needs and the world's needs. This, the same way on the, on the border issue. I mean, that answer to the question about Title 42, and he starts talking about masks. 
mask is another one where at first he said people should should decide what they want to do and then he said oh we're going to appeal the judge's ruling i mean it's it's one day it's one thing the another the next day it's another thing uh none of it adds up to a policy it's it's all kind it's all incoherent when you try to find the common thread, when you try to see what does this man believe in? What is, what is the policy? What is the objective? Uh, where's the evidence of what's working and what's not? I mean, he just seems to be a free-floating BS artist. So the uh, Ron Klain is feeling very optimistic now because he said uh, Macron won a double-digit, had a double-digit victory and had 36% approval rating. His guy's got about that now, 41 in Gallup, in the 30s in just about every other poll. So he feels optimistic that the American people react like the French people. Do you think that's misplaced? I do. Uh, I, I think to, uh, what, he's, what he's trying to do there is, complain, is compare uh, Marie Le Pen to the Repo- Republican Party. Now, Le Pen really is legitimately a far-right figure. And to, to say that that's where the Republican Party is, why? Because they don't want, uh, they don't want uh, kindergarten teachers uh, talking about sex to uh, kindergartners? Does that make the Republican a far-right party? Uh, because we want the border sealed? Does that make Republicans a far-right party? I mean, it's a ridiculous comparison based on a simple poll. Right. Uh, but but Ron Klain is obviously grasping for straws. I guess so. Uh, the other thing is uh, what they're doing for now is they're trying to get some momentum uh, for the midterms. Now, Elizabeth Warren thinks that she has a she's got a, a cure. She says that, number one, I will not run for president, she says, but I'm going to vote for support Joe Biden for reelection and then urges Joe Biden to start doing executive orders. And for one thing you should do is just unilaterally just forgive all student loans. Yeah, I think she taught constitutional law at one point, but I guess she forgot everything that she learned. Um, look, you know, the student loan thing, I think, is is such a third rail for many Americans when they when they either didn't take out loans or repaid to themselves. And now those who didn't uh, are going to get, uh, you know, a free ride and money. You know, there's no there's no distinction between where did you go to school? What did you learn? What did you spend that uh, that college loan on and the fact that uh, people took loans for silly degrees because the loans were so widely available. I mean, that was that was the great grift. You could, you, you know, if someone wrote the other day, you know, a, a, a 21-year-old person can get a $100,000 student loan but couldn't get a $10,000 loan from a bank for a personal let's say to start a business probably so student loans were so easy to get that and it helped to drive up the tuition everywhere i mean the whole student loan business had a i think a a, a destructive impact on on schools and on students lives and now we're just going to wipe it away we're going to forgive those who don't pay what about those who did pay I mean, what do they get out of this deal? And I think that's the right. that's the thing. When the government gets involved, it really creates right. what what they call on Wall Street the moral hazard. And what that I want to bring up, encouraging people to borrow and I hope the government will forgive it. I hear you, but let, let's listen to think about this for a second. The president's uh, administration has two things so brutally dishonest. 
number one, Jim Crow 2.0 in Georgia, saying that yep. the Georgia's reform law, uh, the voting law, was, was uh, Jim Crow 2.0, such a polarizing, powerful statement that diminishes the evil of Jim Crow. When you looked at this, what it is is rein in but puts in place uh, the, the drop boxes, ha- allows expanded voting, but just not expanded voting on certain days. He said it ended at 5 o'clock. Most people don't get to work. That was flat out just not true. He, it's, it's still a voting month in Georgia. So all those things, it lost the All-Star game. And then they try it with the don't say gay bill in Florida. When it had nothing to do with that, it was don't teach sex and gender identity to kindergartners through third grade. So those are two deliberate acts that divides a country. For political gain that's non-existent, Stacey Abrams was now running from the Jim Crow 2.0 and her role in it that lost the All-Star game. And believe me, there's no, not many Democrats are standing up for Disney right now. No, look, I, I mean, the, the polarization is growing starker. And part of it uh, from the left is this thing of, uh, you know— using words to characterize situations that are untrue. So, as you mentioned, Jim Crow 2.0, don't say gay. That bill does not say don't, you can't say gay. It's not about gay. It's about what can be taught to, as you say, K through 3. It's it's not some anti-gay bill. It's about indoctrinating students who are too young to make these decisions. I mean, the whole transgender thing that sort of swept across the country as though we all now have to say, oh, transgender is a good thing. Let's tell the children. I mean, these are very controversial issues having to do with, with you know, the science of can a six-year-old legitimately determine their sex now but in the future? They can change their identity when they're six. I mean, these are, these are kids who would eat chocolate all day if we let them. And now we <laughs> have know. to listen to them when they say they want to change their sex. It's I mean, joke. this has gone too far. And no one wants this. I mean, there's always been Democrats who want, you know, universal health care. I get it. Want to raise taxes on the rich. I understand it. Uh, corporations don't pay their fair share. All right, that's been your position forever. But this whole thing is totally fictitious. It's totally synthetic. Nobody cares about this. And this should not be a big uh, election issue. And it's unbelievable that Joe Biden's pretending like it's an issue now. Uh, Michael, always great to talk to you and get your columns. My pleasure. Thank you, Brian. Michael Goodwin, back in action. We come back, it's all on you. 1-866-408-7669. Bottom of the hour, Jennifer Griffin from Germany. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I can't ever get out of being the former prosecutor, so I listen to the tape instead of listening to the coverage. And it seemed to me that what happened was he gets on, he gets asked about the 25th Amendment. He starts going through it and he gives his prognostication that, you know, if the Senate is going to convict him, then I would tell him to resign. Well, I think that's pretty smart advice. If the Senate was going to have the votes to convict him, he should resign rather than be convicted by the United States Senate. It's the same advice Barry Goldwater gave to Richard Nixon, um, and he left. So to me, that is Chris Christie breaking down the the mania, which is a Washington, D.C.-centric January 6th talking point, 
where Kevin McCarthy came out and said, I never said the president should resign. They roll out this tape, and I'm not sure who rolled it out to the New York Times, Jonathan Martin and that book that's out. And it says Kevin McCarthy's like, yeah, you know, I've had it with this guy. But you know what? If the Senate's going to vote against him, I think he should resign and then have Pence take over and don't even talk about pardoning. So they're talking about X's and O's. And then the bottom line is this. Donald Trump, as soon as Donald Trump says it's no problem, I talked to Kevin about it, we hashed it out, and I straightened him out on a few things. That's it. Donald Trump can't afford to alienate another Republican leader. He realizes that. He's already not speaking to Kevin, um, to Mitch McConnell. And he's not going to, he's worked uh, extensively with Kevin McCarthy to take back the House. And if he's going to go to war with Kevin McCarthy to take back the House, and he's even thinking about running for president, can't do it because this guy's going to be speaker. And you can't just keep alienating certain people. So I think the president also, it, as mad as he gets, he does forgive people. And remember, Lindsey Graham came out and said, I'm out on January 6th after you're in the middle of the Capitol riot. And then he came back and he said, listen, I talked to him. Things settled down. Feel differently now. Welcome to this world. So uh, I don't think that's a big deal, though Chris Christie put it well. It kind of surprised me there because I know Chris Christie's thinking about running for president. Thought it would be an opportunity to bring something political, but he didn't. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. He expressed to both of us uh, deep and repeated appreciation both for President Biden's leadership, but also for the generosity of the American people. While he's grateful for all the things that we're doing, uh, he's also focused on uh, what he thinks he'll need next in order to be successful. And again, uh, they have the mindset that they want to win. We have the mindset that we want to help them win. And we are going to do that. With me right now is uh, Jennifer Griffin, who was with them, uh, Fox News senior uh, security correspondent. Jennifer, did you have it? You did not uh, have an opportunity to go on the train from Poland to Kiev, right? No, they made us drop off um, and kept us in a holding space. In fact, we were in a news blackout, not able to report. Um, they wouldn't even let us tell our, our, our families where we were going. Uh, we were sleeping on cots, eating MREs. Uh, well, they took that long train ride into Kiev and round trip. You know, it was it was you know over over 24 hours. So. So, but we saw them as soon as they got back. Uh, uh, we reconnected with them and had that press conference um, along the border this morning. And and I asked um, some very pointed questions about the aid that is going in and whether uh, the U.S. military is able to track the stingers and the javelins. We've seen some indications. You know, there there are images out there showing that some of the Russian-backed forces have gotten their hands on some of intercepted some of. Those shipments clearly not all because we're seeing the damage being done at, uh, with, by the Ukrainian military with with those very sensitive weapons. But that is an issue from here on out is how to track these very sensitive weapons that are going in. And then, of course, my question to Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, is you know uh, an unnamed official from USAID said that the um, this has been a, crit- uh, a strategic critical uh, mistake the way that humanitarian aid has been delivered, billions of dollars have been handed over to the U.N. and World Food Program and other very large aid organizations, and very, there's very little sign that that is getting to the front lines, to the place that, that need it the most, because they don't have the logistics networks on the ground, and there's no really clear front line 
in this conflict. So really difficult issues in terms of logistics. Yet what I did see, Brian, and this is what's extraordinary, is at this undisclosed location where we were, we could see uh, a whole lot of uh, American uh, weaponry and NATO weaponry. We could we could tell where the boxes were from and lots and lots of weaponry that is flowing. They're not warehousing it. They're putting it straight onto uh, um, modes of transportation and getting that into Ukraine. The question is, is it getting bogged down inside Ukraine, and are those logistics networks good enough to get them up to the frontline troops? Understood. So let me ask you this. Uh, words matter. When the president of the United States allegedly ad-libbed that line, he got to, you know, Vladimir Putin's got to go. Nobody should be leading their nation uh, like that. They had to walk that back. When Secretary of Defense Austin said, he wants to see Russia weaken to the degree it can't do things that he has done and that they have done in invading Ukraine. That might be the sentiment. But do you think that's the most strongest thing they could say? Doesn't that help unite the the Russian people? Well, look, we're in a complicated situation. Um, I think um, what would be nice is if the image is coming out of Ukraine of the atrocities and war crimes, which I witnessed myself on the ground 10 days ago, if those would unite the Russian people and they would uh, turn against uh, the leader that has ordered this invasion. And you are seeing some signs of, of uh, mothers and parents of some of the sailors who just disappeared when the Moscow was uh, was. Um, torpedoed and and sunk, and the Russians lied to their own people that there were any sailors on board who who were killed in that. You know, there's a lot of questions, I think, from the conscripts who have called home and said, we didn't know why we were here. Um, What right now, I think what the strategy is from what I can see firsthand is that uh, the U.S. military is not going to fight in Ukraine. The president has said no U.S. boots on the ground fighting against Russians. They're, they want to avoid a war with Russia. But they are quite openly, and I think in an unprecedented way, flooding heavy armaments and weaponry into Ukraine so that Ukraine can beat Russia. And there are some very strong signs that Russia is still taking tremendous losses. And look at the oil fires in inside Russia, 45 miles behind enemy lines, uh, Ukrainian missiles. Somehow, uh, you know, nobody's claiming it yet, but it is quite apparent that they uh, they were not Russian missiles that struck these oil depots. These are this is part of the supply network, the supply lines that Russia needs to keep their military on the move. And it's the second time that the Ukrainians have been able to strike uh, behind enemy lines. That was a symbolic, very uh, interesting, I would say. Uh, development this morning as the defense secretary and secretary of state were meeting with President Zelensky in the highest level U.S. official visit to Kiev since this war started on February 24th. Very interesting. So I, I saw Lieutenant General Doug Lute was a former U.S. ambassador to NATO. Everyone's talking about, well, let's get talks going. Let's try to end this. This is what he said. Cut 10. Does diplomacy have a chance between Ukraine and Russia? Not yet. Uh, I don't think that the situation on the battlefield yet lends itself to some sort of diplomatic compromise solution. Both sides still imagine that they can win this. Do you agree? I think he's right. I, I don't see any any chance that talks uh, are that either side is saying. Uh, you know, Putin is not suggesting that he's 
crying uncle at this point, and he still ha- there. There are some indications that he thinks he's winning, and it's not clear that he's getting you know accurate information from the battlefield. It's not sure, clear what he knows. We do know that the UN Secretary General is going to meet with him this week, and that there's a very uh, strong united message that uh, that is being delivered to Putin. And we heard the Defense Secretary and Secretary of State say that they uh, that the UN Secretary General is carrying a message of you know for a ceasefire, open humanitarian corridors. Uh, Russia has not even been able to agree to humanitarian corridors, so uh, they are all in. The Ukrainians are all in, and I think there's a you know realism on the part of U.S. diplomats that uh, what they need to do right now is what President Zelensky has asked for provide as much weaponry, as much heavy weaponry, as much weaponry that they know how to use uh, so that they can keep battering the Russian uh, military. They, nobody believed they could stop the Russian military from its march towards Kiev. They did. They did it with javelins. I saw with my own eyes the carcasses of tanks strewn all the way along the roads north of the capital. Uh, they got mighty close to the capital, but those uh, you know, those babushkas who stood in front of tanks up in those villages and those villagers who, who uh, sabotaged the, the, the supply lines, uh, they're the heroes of this. The Battle of Kiev will be studied for a, a long time from now. Absolutely. What was your biggest takeaway or what could you, uh, from what you noticed, Jennifer, have, have the, the State Department and Defense Department have a different view 60 days into this war than they had when it started. Do you get a sense uh, in the subtleties of being around them and the body language? Are they, are, they cha- are they changing course at all? Absolutely. I mean, we can see publicly what they have done in terms of flooding the zone with weapons. I mean, this is a flood. I, I cannot tell you. I mean, I'm sort of not allowed to talk about a lot of what I saw on this visit, but I am telling you the sophisticated and uh, the amount of weapons I've never seen so much in one place, and the number of planes landing every hour, and the immediacy of which they are loaded onto trucks and and other uh, modes of transport to go into Ukraine uh, and be handed off, it, it's really quite stunning. And that doesn't happen very easily. I mean, I know how the Pentagon works. I know how procurement works. Uh, Secretary of Defense said today, and I've seen it with my own eyes, that the president signed off on $800 million of additional lethal aid last Thursday. Within 48 hours, there were howitzers, 17 howitzers on the, it, it delivered into Ukraine. There are 50 Ukrainian artillerymen who were given a six-day course in an undisclosed location in Europe uh, that, that now graduate today, go in and know how to use those. There, it's to train the trainer model. They will be training others about how to use those howitzers. There's seven more howitzers that will be in there within days and 82 behind that. Uh, it's really quite stunning to see how quickly uh, they have emptied the shelves, if you will, of, of stockpiles of weapons that, that have moved in. And where I am right now, I'm with the defense secretary right now at Ramstein Air Base in Germany, and there are 30-plus uh, defense ministers and, and uh, chiefs of, of defense coming from 30 nations to meet with Defense Secretary Austin and General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, to discuss what uh, else can be, what, what military equipment these other 30 countries have to provide right. to Ukraine. 
this is a huge effort. It's very impressive from you know, what I can see, and it's a complete change. They started sending weapons in, you know, 24 hours after February 24th, uh, but the type of weapons and the the lethality of the weapons and the the you know the hardware that they're sending in is very different from what they envisioned in the early days when they were just talking about javelins. Jennifer, I tell you, I was really surprised that these Eastern European nations that joined NATO were still using Russian equipment. I had no idea. And, yeah. and why that conversion wasn't put underway um, surprises me because now we got to do this barter it's system. Expensive. We can train them. It's expensive. Remember, but, remember but, how hard it was to get NATO countries to spend a certain amount. Of, remember, there was all the talk under the Trump administration, even under the Obama administration before that, of getting NATO countries to spend 2% of their GDP on defense. And that has been a big push from successive uh, American administrations. Suddenly, overnight, everyone's willing to spend money on defense because they see the Russian threat. And one of the problems was the the equipment. If you're talking about NATO-certified equipment or Western yeah. or American mm-hmm. fighter planes, that's expensive. And none of them were willing to pay for it. Guess what? They're willing to pay for it now because they see the threat on their doorstep. See, if this if this could end with uh, with Russia being pushed back to limited out of Donbass and this comes to an end and they keep Odessa – and Mikulov and all those uh, all those southern cities, and the Russians. Come, I think the thing you're going to have now is NATO motivated with their population involved, demanding that their defense be built up, allowing us Absolutely. allowing us to pivot to China, uh, because because we'll support the NATO nations like as always, but support them with armaments which they will pay for. We will make, and then we could pivot elsewhere. Do you see a positive out of this? I, I see a positive. Unfortunately, I think it's going to take years for this to play out because really? Putin is stubborn. He's got uh, huge petrodollars still in his reserves despite the sanctions because, unfortunately, with sanctions, the price of oil has also gone up. So we're in a bit of a catch-22 right now in terms of him still having access to money. Uh, this we, We've seen with leaders like Putin, uh, these kind of regimes can last a long time. Uh, they don't get overthrown by their own people. And they can cause a lot of damage, and he still has nuclear weapons. So this can go on a long time. But what I can tell you from the ground and what I've seen is the Ukrainian people will not give up an inch of their land. They are the most motivated, strong people that I've ever seen. I've never seen a more cohesive uh, group of people. And they are motivated. They are not wavering. And that is why you're seeing a change from, uh, from you know, an acceleration, if you will, uh, of all countries. I mean, I was told that there were 20 RSVP yeses to this uh, this uh, military defense meeting here at Ramstein tomorrow. And in the last 24 hours, it's now up to 30. There are last-minute RSVPs. Even seeing, and, and you can't underestimate them seeing the defense secretary and secretary of state in Kiev talking about reopening the U.S. embassy in Kiev. Uh, these countries who might have been sitting on the fence are saying, hang on. We've got to get involved, and we've got to help uh, Ukraine win this thing, because if not, Russia's coming for us next. And the most motivated countries, of course, have been Poland, the Baltics, the frontline states. But now you are seeing uh, other countries jump in, and, um, and they recognize the threat. Putin is a threat. I've known Putin was a threat since 1999 when I saw him firsthand when I was living in Moscow, and he came on the scene as prime minister, and he began the war in Chechnya. We ignored him, and we ignored his atrocities with his uh, military 
uh, there are very real concerns that they're going to use chemical weapons and may have already done so in the recent weeks. And so wait and see what's going to happen when this new general that he's put in charge uses chemical weapons uh, inside Ukraine. That's going to challenge uh, the, the that's going to be the next challenge that the West faces. Absolutely. And Jennifer, my, my last question to you is I interviewed the, uh, the Finnish ambassador to the U.S., uh, he really believes that Finland's going to go fo- forward with this application process and get in. Sweden, he believes so, too. What do you think? Do you think there'll be any resistance? No, I think they're absolutely on a path towards joining NATO. I think it's a good thing. I think it sends a message to Putin. Putin never dreamed that Sweden and Finland would join NATO. It just shows that his his foolhardy, uh, you know, uh, move into Ukraine, this war in Ukraine is backfiring. It's united NATO. And now countries that he never thought on his border, like Finland, are are going to vote in the next month to join NATO. And I think it's a good thing because the difference in Finland and Sweden compared to some of the more developing countries in Eastern Europe who uh, sought membership is they are they are sophisticated economies. They're sophisticated militaries. They're not going to be a drain on NATO. They are already uh, spending the money on defense, and they just want to be a part of this umbrella group mm-hmm. uh, because they uh, want to present a united front to Russia and to tell Russia that any more expansionist plans, and they are involved, and they are there. And again, they have the sophisticated um, military bases and, and weaponry. They aren't going to be a drain on NATO. They're going to be a plus. Gotcha. Jennifer, great reporting uh, over in Germany before she comes back home after traveling with the Secretary of State and Defense over into uh, Ukraine. What a day. Uh, thanks so much, Jennifer. Thank you, Brian. You got it. Meanwhile, we're going to come back and I'll finish up with your calls. A lot going on. one 408 7669 Hope you had a great weekend. We're back in action. So glad you're here. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. My question is this. How can you ask for international travelers to make sure they have, they're vaccinated or even show the COVID-19 negative test if they fly in? How can we have the, the emergency, a federal public emergency extended to July 15th and say there's a pandemic going on in the United States, but at the border, everything's fine and just let people uh, in into the United States? Uh, those are mixed messages. Why can't more Democrats just be logical like Henry Cuellar? who's in a fight of his life in a primary by this left-wing liberal, mainly because most people thought Henry Cuellar was being investigated by the FBI, and he's not a target of the investigation. I didn't want to get into it because it doesn't, uh, shouldn't even affect the election. But you put a guy like that, who also talks about drilling in Texas, who cares what party he's in? He's just trying to control the border. He's Hispanic. He's not anti-Hispanic, but he's part of a 42-member Hispanic caucus in the House that's going to meet with President Biden today. And he thinks there's only one other person that he knows of who thinks it's a good idea to, uh, to not extend, uh, to, that support him in extending Title 42. So just incredible. Uh, I just wish more people would just do what's good for their state. And not so good. What are you so worried about the president for? You know the president's wrong. You know he has no clue in the border. You know he never talks to you about the border. You know he never gone to the border. You know it. So stand up for it. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Keep it here. Go to BrianKilmead.com. Order any of my books. 
All delivered and signed. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian so Kilmeade. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, but heard around the country and heard how you hope in the Ukraine. Uh, John Levine is here in, uh, in, the, uh, in our studio. It's very rare. We used to have in-studio guests, probably more than remote guests. Uh, but John is a New York Post writer working the Hunter Biden story, able to get this new information, not in Miranda's book, Miranda Devine's book on the laptop from hell, but new information by checking the logs of the White House about you're not going to believe who had a chance to visit there. And it was the guy that used to run. Rosemont Seneca, who just happens to be co-founded by Hunter Biden. They met 19 times. We're going to discuss that uh, at least 19 times, uh, gone to the White House. Why would that be? We'll discuss that in a, in a second, but let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I think there's about two uh, members of the Hispanic uh, congressional uh, delegation. It's myself and Congressman Vicente Gonzalez, who's also at the border, uh, that feel that Title 42 should be stayed in place. Uh, And the rest of them are going to say, go ahead and lift it. It's nuts. War on the border. A Border Patrol agent drowned while trying to save a drug trafficker from drowning as a Republican delegation heads to the border and a Hispanic caucus hits the White House. There's a huge push to get Title 42 uh, in place and stay in place through the summer. But guess what? The majority of Hispanic caucus does not want it to stay. They want 18000 a day at the border. It's nuts. Number two. Those types of things really are the purview of the CDC. This is a public health issue. We are concerned about that, about courts getting involved in things that are unequivocally public health decisions. Exactly. I mean, this is a CDC issue. It should not, should not have been a court issue. Uh, yeah, done with it and finished with Fauci. Doctors are bailing on the usefulness of masks and Dr. Fauci thinks the CDC should trump the judiciary branch. The guy is insane. This is China starts fencing people in their homes. No joke. With Omicron, most are asymptomatic. You're talking about 25 million. I'm sure Fauci would sign off on that. Number one. When it comes to Russia's war aims, Russia is failing. Ukraine is succeeding. Russia has sought as its principal aim to totally subjugate Ukraine, to take away its sovereignty, to take away its independence. That has failed. Uh, that is uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. Blinken and Austin meet with Zelensky in Kiev. Are we ready to make sure the Russians lose this war or just limit Ukraine's loss? We will bring you the latest from their three-hour meeting uh, in this 60-day war. Also, special thanks to KQOB-FM. You're now taking the Brian Kilmeade Show in Oklahoma City. We appreciate that. Your slogan is Oklahoma's talk radio. A right to the point and so true. So, John, welcome officially to the show. Well, welcome back. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is the first in-studio appearance that I've done here. I've done a few remotes, so this is great. Well, I mean, your voice is – why are you in newspaper? You should be doing voiceovers. I mean – one of these days, you offering me a job? Uh, well, don't, I mean, people have people told you that before. People have told me that my whole life. Right, I every back day them. someone tells I me. I back them. Yeah. I back them. One of these days, I'll get into it. Joe, a little closer to the microphone. Oh, if I can give sorry. you that little bit of advice, John. So first off, we, the Hunter story has not stopped really since the New York Times and Washington Post realized it was true. It is his laptop. The emails are authentic. This is stuff that you had. A year and a half ago. I feel like I'm having like deja vu. I feel like I'm in the Matrix. 
The, the Times and the Washington Post are putting out stories that I knew 18 months ago, that, that the New York Post put out 18 months ago. Because they're, they're suddenly getting around to confirming, you know, air quotes, confirming the hard drive. Everything they're putting out, we already knew. But, you know, unfortunately for a lot of their readers, they're caught in, I call it this Bermuda News Triangle, where they just, they have no idea. They have no idea this was all information that was publicly known for a very long time. Frustrating for you? I mean, it must have been unbelievably frustrating for you. To it know is. this huge story involves the president of the United States and his son, and they want to make it about, well, the guy's addicted, and he just happens to have his last name Biden. No, no. We don't care about his crack use. We right. care about what he did. Yeah, I think that's, that's important. The Hunter Biden story, at a surface level, appears very, very complicated because there's a lot of contracts and foreign business deals and very exotic countries. It's, it's really a very, very simple story. It's not about crack addiction. It's not even really about nepotism. It's about in 2019, Joe Biden told this network's Peter Ducey, I've never had any involvement in my son's overseas business dealings. And it's about is that true? And what we, what we now know is there's a growing body of evidence to suggest that it's not true, that he was involved. So as much as you can look at that laptop and go through it, and Miranda wrote a book about it, what you're about to tell us is new, uh, that you were able to get this information that was public but not pursued. So just before we start, Rosemont Seneca is? Rosemont Seneca was an investment company co-founded by Hunter Biden, Devin Archer, and Chris Heinz. And uh, Eric Schwerin was the president of Rosemont Seneca Partners. Okay. And what type of investments did they do? They were, you know, it was, that's a very good question because there's a lot of, in the hard drive, there's a lot of evidence of money changing hands, but it's very unclear what this company actually did do. What's their, yeah, what was their skill set? Right. I mean, the skill set was that Hunter Biden was Joe's son. That was the skill set. And right. a, a lot of it was, oh, you know, I'll introduce you to this person. But there was, all, there was a lot of proposed deals with oligarchs, whether it's in Mexico, whether it's in Ukraine, whether it's in China. And there's a lot of flurries. But we don't, we don't actually know, you know, exactly what things came to fruition and what didn't. It's still to be seen. And to Chris Hines credit, whoever he is, but he's John Kerry's son. Uh, John yeah. Kerry's stepson. It's Teresa Hines Kerry's yeah. son. And she's married. To and him. he walked away from it. Right. Yeah. So maybe to save himself, maybe so it was going on there. So what did you find about the president of of uh, Rosemont Seneca? So here's the thing. As you said, this isn't in the hard drive. These are in the Obama administration's publicly available visitor logs, which we link to in the story I published. Anyone can go there and look at them. And it shows that Eric Schwerin, the president of Hunter Biden's investment company, made at least 19 official visits to the White House the vice president's residence or the Eisenhower executive office building where the vice president's offices are. And for about half of these, there it says in the description, a reception, a party, inaugural party. But for the other half, the much more interesting half, we, we don't know what it was for. So we don't know what the meeting with Joe Biden in 2010 was about. There's no there's description. As they had a one-on-one. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know what he was doing meeting with Evan Ryan, who was an assistant to, to Vice President Biden at the time, now married to Antony Blinken, now working in the administration as the cabinet secretary. See, that's important. I read, had to read that twice. I go, wait a second. So Evan, Evan Ryan. Evan Ryan. Is a woman. She's a woman. So you think it's a guy. And I'm like, wait a second. No, it's it. So Anthony Blinken's future wife. Yes. So they're meeting one-on-one. Blinken's a key aide to Joe Biden. Yeah, uh, his whole life, time. his whole career. Yeah, yeah. Then he becomes Secretary of State. He was once Deputy Secretary of State and uh, really blew the whole surge in Iraq. But it was because of his decision. We needed a surge in Iraq to pull all the troops out. 
But having said that, so there, there's a link there. Oh, there's more than that. One of the people he met with was a woman named Betsy Massey Walker. Betsy Massey Walker was an aide to Jill Biden. Betsy Massey Walker is married to Rob Walker, another business partner of Hunter Biden's. And Rob Walker is on the e- the infamous, you know, 10 percent for the big guy email. So all these people are connected. So um, the audacity of going to the White House, feeling impervious that you could do this, you know, you're getting recorded. And, you know, the problem is if the vice president is ever implicated into this, uh, is influence peddling, that would be disastrous for his career and his legacy and everything. Maybe they're thinking to themselves, he's never going to run again. He's old right now. He's never going to be president. So what's the big deal? I mean, who knows? I mean, unfortunately, my story raises a lot more questions than it answers. I can't tell you what they spoke about. I can't I can't even tell you how long the meetings were. But if I'm investigating this now, do I need to see him more than ever? Ed Sherwin. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's definitely someone who is going to become a much bigger player in the hard drive and Saga, for sure. And you would think that if the Republicans get the majority in the House, what they're expected to be, and they're going to focus on Hunter, this guy is going to be subpoenaed. Oh, it's not just Hunter. This is there's going to be a lot of other players who need to who who will probably be subpoenaed in this because you can't get everything from just Hunter. We don't have Schwerin's hard drive, but if we did, I you know I bet that would be a treasure trove of information too. And uh, John, as you go back and then you look at the emails, knowing how often they met, doesn't it say that Sherwin is somebody that the that the, he knows the finances of the Biden family because right. he is interacting with Joe Biden about his uh, about his taxes. Right. He was talking to Joe Biden over the phone about taxes, about the mortgage, about what Joe Biden might do after he left public service for his, quote, future earnings potential were the words he used. We know this because he emailed this to Hunter. So when I say he was Hunter Biden's closest business partner, I mean, you know, personally close to him and the family and their personal finances. And it's very – Noteworthy that such a person would be in the White House meeting with Joe and top aides one-on-one while he was vice president. And I brought this up before. If Do you know anybody in your family or friends that have been addicted to anything? Uh, no, I don't personally, know. I do. And the worst thing you could do is put them under stress. So if you have someone with an addiction, they feel the stress, they got to go for that stress relief, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, or whether it's gambling. That's their stress relief. And knowing that Hunter's got this long history of extreme drug use, they're doing the worst things possible. Why would you put him on international deals where a bad movement could get, which we find out, get people killed, they disappear, others go to jail? The worst thing you could ever do is do that. But they trust the family, the way these laptop reads and the way the book reads and your columns read, he's trusting the family fortune with a one of the great, the, a functioning drug addict. It's, it's, it's bizarre. Nuts. I can't explain it. And that's what leads me to wonder, in a drunken stupor or a drug-induced stupor, he takes a laptop to a local computer repair shop, at which time signs a piece of paper that says, in 90 days, if I don't come pick it up, it's every, it's mine. And that begin, turns out that that repair shop guy happens to be a conservative that knows all the players and says, everybody in Delaware knows the Bidens anyway. He was a Fox News viewer, and he saw Rudy Giuliani on Fox News. And he got in touch with Giuliani's attorney, and one thing led to another, which is sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. Makes it – well, it was enough to get you – the craziest thing was to get your account frozen or suspended if you uh, if you retweeted that. Yeah. Who was the press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, tested positive for COVID, sees this article, retweets it, 
and has her account suspended. The sitting press secretary sees a story that's newsworthy in one of the oldest newspapers in the country. I mean, I know you lived it, but it's still stunning to say it. I think it was clearly, you know, an overreaction to 2016, where a lot of people in the press and uh, the social media oligarchs thought that we went a little overboard with the coverage of Hillary's emails and WikiLeaks. But clearly, you know, it shows you that what's worse than too much coverage is suppressing coverage. And, you know, there was a there was I, I'll use this word. There was a conspiracy by big tech, at, you know, with the complicity of the media and the Democratic Party to keep this information from people before they went to the polls in 2016. And, you know, the consequences were obviously enormous. When Hunter Biden not only doesn't run for the story, writes a book knowing that some of these questions are going to get up. I think it was Savannah come up. Savannah Guthrie asked him, is it your laptop? Is it your laptop? I, he goes, the truth is, I don't know. And well, then to, I can tell you it is. Right. Jimmy Kimmel gets the question. He goes, have you thought about getting Apple Care?" And people laugh. John, have you, as, as someone who's been following the Hunter Biden story with the New York Post, have you wrapped your head around the fact that someone could write a book and knowing about this, about his life and his career, knowing it's, all of these questions are swirling around it, knowing that most of his business associates are in jail or in the case of the Chinese contact, missing. Right. Think about that mindset. Hunter Biden has not been asked a serious question by anyone, by, by any member, any interview he's given, whether it's Jimmy Kimmel or Savannah Guthrie or anybody. Who is the big guy, the person identified that by business partner Tony Bobolinsky as Joe Biden, who receives various slices of equity and different deals on the hard drive? They've never been asked that. We don't know. So, And it doesn't appear to me that they're going to ever sit for an interview with someone who would ask that. Uh, and so that's why it, it, it may come down to just a subpoena is the only way to elicit this information. And he could get away with that. I don't know. I was on crack. And he probably was. But not now. And that's then. And you see a lot of the interaction there. Do you see what some of the most – he's probably one of the most unsavory characters that we've ever seen in black and white. When you talk about leaving his marriage for his wife's widow oh. and then – the disparaging things he said about her as he hooks up with somebody else, denies ever meeting them, some stripper, and then is re- gets her pregnant, denies that uh, that he's the father, and before having to expose his taxes, quickly settles and then marries a woman he met two weeks later. This is all recent, right? And I just, I'll just, I just have to bring this up. If this was, if this was during the Trump administration, and I and I had a proof that sort of. Don Jr. was consorting with prostitutes and Trump was meeting associates of Don. I mean, do I even have to finish that sentence? You don't. (laughs) I mean, he was impeached over a phone call to the Ukraine. (laughs) All right. uh, And everything else. Uh, So and by the way, a phony Russia story, which most people acknowledge now. Really? Two and a half years. Um, Listen, we come back. Just a couple more questions for John. uh, John Levine. Can you stay? I can stay. What floor are you on? Ten. So you could still go back and forth on the same elevator yeah. You don't have to get off the elevator, go to one, and change elevator. Can't even take the So stairs. I don't even feel guilty. No. All right, good. Thanks, John. John, sticking around. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We got a, a few more minutes with uh, John Le, John Levine. Is it Levine? I'm sorry, Levine. Levine my fault. Okay. Uh, John Levine, uh, New York Post. So, John, um, why do you think 
that we are interested now. Do you have a theory of why the New York Times and Washington Post decide to go with this story? Because I know every the conventional wisdom is an indictment's coming. Uh, eventually, you can only put so many fingers in the dam before it starts to break. And there's a point at which you just can't ignore reality. You can't ignore the fire in front of your face. You can't just be saying this is fine as your house is burning down. So I think there's a recognition from a lot of people that if Republicans take back the House, which everyone agrees will probably happen after the midterms, there's going to be nonstop investigations. And you're not going to be able to just ignore the story when people are being subpoenaed on Capitol Hill. And so I think just eventually decisions were made at those newsrooms. I mean, you'll have to ask them. I don't know why they suddenly decided to do it, but I think decisions were made that, like, we've got to finally get on this. How long can the press secretary continue to parry these questions? Well, I don't know. When is she going to MSNBC? Soon. I mean, <laughs> as long there's, no, there's going to be hopefully no break. She's right? jumping ship. <laughs> right. But what, how soon till you could say she just says Hunter Biden does not work for this White House? Well, I mean, there was just reporting in the Washington Post the other day that they've hired a Kamala Harris veteran named Ian Sams, and he's going to be like the – the calm czar for the White House counsel's office to handle all Hunter inquiries and all, you know, anything, anything that any probes or subpoenas that come from the House or the Senate, they're not going to go through the normal communications channels in the White House. It's all going to be handled by this just a Hunter unit or that handles the investigation, the comms aspect for them. So they're the White House is totally preparing for the for the tidal wave. Here. Grand jury is evidently has asked some questions, not Bobulinski, about the big guy. Yeah. To other witnesses. What does that tell you? It, 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 it's coming closer. Like every every day, you know, we crack the door open a little more. Grand jury. And these, these are these are un, it's one thing for Joe to say in an Iowa press conference. Oh, yeah, I never was involved. You know, you can't lie to a grand jury. These are under oath questions. And apparently witnesses have been asked We're reporting in The New York Post. You can read witnesses have been asked who is the who is the big guy. And, you know, eventually. It's a question that Hunter's going to have to answer under oath, possibly even Joe Biden. All right. uh, John Levine, New York Post writer, all over this story with Joe Biden and this article today will move this story forward that you don't get in the laptop from hell. You've got it by just hustling. The White House visitor logs, they're public. Go download them and look. It's in the article. Thanks, John. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We have a president of the United States who has not negotiated with the president of Mexico. So I, as governor of Texas, have taken matters into my own hands uh, and I've negotiated uh, landmark historic deals uh, with the governors of Mexican states that are adjacent to Texas, where these Mexican states are 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 going to step up and they are going to start securing the border. And that's on top of things that Texas has done that's never been done before in the history of America, such as Texas building its own border wall, Texas laying down miles of razor wire to prevent people from coming across the border, uh, creating a boat blockades. And I will tell you this, something else has never happened before, and that is the Texas National Guard. Uh, they have turned back uh, more than 15,000 people uh, who attempted to come across the border illegally. So Texas is doing everything we possibly can to contain a completely out-of-control border situation uh, that's the worst that I've ever seen. It. Wow. Uh, it's desperate. It's pathetic that uh, he has to do that. That's Governor Greg Abbott of Texas. And we lost a Border Patrol agent who's actually not a Border Patrol agent, working the border, National Guard, Iraq vet. Uh, he drowns trying to save what turned out to be a drug dealer. 
a drug trafficker. Is that unbelievable? It's stunning to me. So Brandon Judd weighed in on Bishop Evans. Cut 24. This is something that we could have stopped. If we had the proper policies on the border, these individuals wouldn't be crossing in Del Rio. Historically speaking, Del Rio is a very slow sector. We have nine sectors on the border, on, on the southwest border, and Del Rio is a very slow sector. But since President Biden completely took away all of the policies that President Trump implemented, we've seen an explosion in Del Rio. This was preventable. And when you see somebody lose their life because they're trying to protect others, that's what we go out and do. We, as, as law enforcement, we put on a uniform to go out and protect other people, and that's what we want to do. And when you lose life um, that is senseless and because of policy, it really upsets everybody. Uh, yeah, it upsets everybody, but nobody reported it. Now, think about this. President Biden here sees uh, uh, Border Patrol agents on horseback, and he says, they, and they're trying to corral Haitians who are storming the border, and they're using the whips to hit their horse to move up and down through the stream, and they accuse these Border Patrol agents of whipping migrants. And the vice president runs to the microphone, and the president runs to the microphone. He condemns it. There'll be a full investigation. But now a National Guardsman drowns trying to save a would-be illegal immigrant, and not a word, no coverage, no mention from the White House. That, to me, is it could not be more irresponsible. But that's exactly the situation. Everything's political, even death. Can you imagine if you remember that family? It's nuts. So just a little bit further on this, more from Brandon Judd, Cut 25. I've got 25 years in this profession, and I've never seen it worse than what it is right now. People just don't joke. They don't like coming into work. Their heads are down. We feel beaten. We just don't feel like like we can do the job to protect the American public like what we want to do. If you don't accomplish something, you just don't feel fulfilled. And right now, we don't feel like we're accomplishing anything. I I agree, too. The other thing I want to bring up is what happened in Ukraine, uh, kind of historic. Anthony Blinken and Lloyd Austin. Uh, the Secretary of Defense and State uh, took a train from Poland into Kiev and met with President Zelensky. It's supposed to be 90 minutes, so it was three hours. Another $700 million has come in their direction. Uh, hopefully it's the arms they need and they get to the right people. There are reports of the Donbass Donbas region that the so-called Russian separatists have some of, those, uh, some of that. They said it's just a casualty of war. But getting just to Poland is not enough. This is our money. Remember you left so much hardware to the Afghans, the Taliban, we got to make sure we don't give these to the Russians. Here is Lloyd Austin, cut four. Uh, we want to see the international community more united, uh, especially NATO. And we, we're seeing that. And that's uh, based upon the hard work of, number one, President Biden, but also uh, our allies and partners who have willingly leaned into this uh, with us as we've imposed sanctions, as we've uh, moved very rapidly to demonstrate that we're going to defend every inch of NATO. So Ukraine just rocketed into an oil depot in Russia, which uh, also the is going to exercise the Russian community. Evidently, they are rallying around Vladimir Putin, which is sad because they're not getting the true story. Most of the, those who got the true story left. It's estimated that about 140,000 Russians have left their country since this whole thing started. What Austin said, which I think is not smart, I understand the sentiment, but I think it's not smart. Austin said this, he wants to see the Russians Russians weaken to the degree it can't do the things that he has seen done in invading Ukraine. Listen, of course I agree with that. But you don't want Russia to think this is a fight on Russia and, and that they are just defending themselves. 
and we are still looked at as their chief rival because of Cold War days. Generations grew up thinking that that was the story up until 1991. So by us saying we look in a week in Russia, they say, okay, no kidding. That was your real objective. That's why you're helping the Ukrainians. $713 million in military aid and financing for Ukraine. More than a dozen other nations are in on this. The funding will allow those countries to purchase new weapons to boost the stocks or in some cases replenish arms and provide it to the Ukraine. So the good news is the, the Bulgarias, the Estonias, the Latvias, the Lithuanias, they're going to start buying our stuff, and they're going to give the stuff that the Ukrainians had to use, Eastern European stuff, to the Ukrainians to fight. So it's a good scenario. The, what's not good is the Russians don't care about life and death. They don't care about horrific war crimes. They don't feel as though they'll ever be called on to pay that. They've lost about 20 commanders. They've lost about 20,000 troops. But yesterday... In a ceremony, according to the British Defense Ministry, they officially took Kyrgyzstan. It was the first major Ukraine city to be occupied. So they just took it over. They said officially it's ours. The Ukrainians are actually battling to get it back right now. And they're never going to accept any type of Russian rule, rule at all. Those days of Crimea and going in and saying they want us here anyway, uh, taking the Donbass region, say it's not a problem. It is a problem. Both were problems. But the rest of Ukraine hates Russia more than life itself. But the Black Sea port of Kyrgyzstan, according to them, is now Russian. There's been about 5,100, 5,186,000 refugees. 7.7 million people, uh, according to the International Organization for Migration, have moved. So some state went out of the country. About 2 million moved to a safer part of the country. So that's where we stand. Uh, real quick, I want to play a little bit more from what these guys are saying. Uh, Anthony Blinken is not the excitable type, but David Sanger's got more security contacts than most people in America. He talked about what Vladimir Putin is thinking, according to the the American intelligence, says this about how Vladimir Putin sees the war. Cut seven. U.S. intelligence has basically concluded that Putin thinks he is winning. That may be a reflection of the fact that he's saying to himself, ah, I didn't really want to take Kiev anyway. I just want to get my land bridge and get the south and get the, get the east. Whatever it is, he thinks he's winning. And here's why that worries me. If, in fact, he suffers a second big setback, that's the moment when I think he will be most tempted to reach for weapons of mass destruction, whether it is chemical or whether it is nuclear. Because I think the the sense that he must have is that two big setbacks in a row would be more than he could take. And the first one was the capital and the whole Northeast and the disaster, what it was. So on one hand, I found this interesting that David Sanger is saying that he thinks he's winning. But on the other hand, he knows he's not winning because he already embarrassed himself because most of the fighters had to go back to Belarus to to get refitted or recover or quit. Three percent of the Belarusian population wants to fight with Russia. Three percent. But the leader, Lushenko, is allied to Russia because they basically saved him. He lost an election. He was stayed in power because of Russian troops. So now Belarus has got to be a launching pad for this war. But yet only three percent of the American people, excuse me, the Belarusian people actually support the war. Lieutenant General Doug Lutz, also a valuable commodity. He talked about what he sees right now. And what he sees next, cut nine. Crimea was largely isolated, very difficult to resupply and so forth. In fact, the Russians had to build a bridge to Crimea just to resupply it. Now they have a land bridge. So they have the roads, they have the railroads and so forth. But 
seizing that territory in the south is not the same as holding it. And the Russians now face uh, the remnants of the, um, the Ukrainian military in that area, but also the Ukrainian population. They're still in for a fight in the south. Wow. Uh, that's, I, see, I see it's pretty, very accurate. He's definitely got good uh, context there. When we come back, I'll take a look at more to know. I'll also take a look at some of your calls, one 408 We have not discussed uh, much of COVID-19, but what Anthony Fauci said is even off the charts for him. Most of the stuff he says is illogical and irrational, which is wrapped in somebody that, uh, that prides himself on being credible. I don't. Never bought him. one 408 This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. The judiciary plays a really important co-equal branch of government, right? Uh, Very, very important. Um... I believe that decisions around those should be driven by the scientists, right? Whether people should be on masks or not, that, that certainly is what it means to follow the science and to look at what the scientific agencies uh, are recommending. Obviously, the judiciary has an important role to play. Um, what, I, what you heard out of the administration, out of the Department of Justice, was, was the assessment that this, this was a, uh, a, an incorrect decision, and the DOJ is now appealing that decision. Yeah, no kidding. That's Dr. Aisha Jha, and he's walking back and trying to clarify Dr. Anthony Fauci, who said the CDC should rule and nobody else should try to overrule. Are you crazy? What is wrong with him? And on the mass issue, once and for all, it doesn't they're, – they're not effective, especially the ones that we keep wearing. And if you're not going to wear – if you're going to wear an N95, you don't even need one unless you're getting on and off the plane because the plane air and the entire fuselage changes every four minutes. Dr. Scott Gottlieb – Talked about that. Cut 17. I think this year is really a transition year. I think this is going to be the year when this becomes more and more of an endemic illness. It's not going to be a defined point in time when that happens. Um, but what, what's going to happen is this is going to settle into more of a seasonal pattern. I do expect prevalence levels to start to decline. We may be peaking right now if you look at the wastewater data, hopefully over the summer, through the summer. We have pretty low prevalence of this infection, and then we're going to see mm-hmm. it reemerge in the fall. The question is what reemerges? Is it a new yeah. strain of Omicron? And that's going to drive decisions around the vaccine. Right, because the, the, he says it. The vaccine doesn't work for Omicron. He said, well, lessen your symptoms. But he glazes over that. But I'm just telling you, if it was Donald Trump and he was president right now, and we'd be better off if he was, but they'd be saying Donald Trump's vaccine doesn't work. He rushed it too quick with warp speed. Most other vaccines like polio and others work. Why do we keep needing them? Why do we need four or five shots? He would actually stop the whole booster thing. He would be making sure that these private universities aren't demanding uh, two and three extra shots wearing N95 masks for a variant that, for the most part, doesn't get you sick. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. All right, Texas judge has invited Disney to move from Florida amid the DeSantis feud. I'm surprised Texas is getting involved with this, but they're not moving. We all know they're not moving. Disney blew it. They better apologize. Next. Google goes woke. The search engine is launching inclusive language. Here we go. Users typing landlord will see a warning that it may not be inclusive to all readers. Landlord's kind of a feudal ter- term anyway, like kind of a, uh, an ancient Viking term. I'm, I'm a lord of this land. The word humankind is a suggestion instead of 
mankind. Gender terms such as policeman or housewife should be replaced by police officer or stay-at-home spouse. Uh, nudging users towards woke language being seen by critics as a step too far. A transcribed interview with Ku Klux Klan leader David Duke in which he uses offensive slurs and talks about hunting black people prompted no warnings. But he suggested that President John F. Kennedy's inaugural address for all humankind instead of mankind. So change a historical speech by the president of the yes. United States. That's okay. Didn't they do that recently with Ruth Bader Ginsburg as well? They, they, or no, somebody I, on Twitter, somebody changed the wording of, of her to, try I'm to not, make it more woke. I'm not sure. I think she was overrated, though. Next, one in 20 heart attacks in cities may be linked to noise pollution. Heart attacks in the study is 72% higher in places where high transportation exposure. Researchers say these areas like 3,336 heart attacks per 100,000 compared to 1,938. Researchers have estimated that the high noise exposure accounted for 5% or 1 in 20 of all heart attacks. The study, uh, uh, the study nearly 16,000 patients gave that. There's no way. It's not. It's the traffic. It's the constant aggravation. I don't think it's the noise. Next. I don't want to do that. Do you know that Nicolas Cage, uh, do you know who Nicolas Cage is? One in eight Gen Z adults admit they don't. That according to a recent poll. That's in contrast to 92% of respondents overall who recognize him and more than half of whom describe him as extremely familiar with the actor. Gen Z was also likely to describe Cage as compelling to watch. Why? Because he's got a movie out. Is that why we're doing this? Yeah, and it was, it was asked, but here's my question. Now, you have Gen Zers in, in your family. Do they know who Nicolas Cage is? Yes. Well, a National Treasure. Okay. That would do it. Next, swinging your arms while running does nothing for your speed. Wow. SMU University have discovered that arm swing isn't so important for speed. Athletes who ran with their arms close across, uh, across around their chest ran nearly as fast. A finding suggests the classic view, the arm swinging directly drives leg motion to affect performance is not well supported. The, study, the team studied the velocity of participants who completed a 30-meter sprint with swinging arm motions and those without. Running with restricted arm motions slowed down their race by just only 0.08%. Wow, the difference between using and not using your arms for sprint performance was 1.65. That's huge difference if you're sprinting. Yeah, I mean, if you're coming down to the to the wire, neck Come and on. neck, yeah, half a half of a half a second, you can. We are are we out of stuff to study? I, I mean, think so. I think so. Are we okay? I guess so. Next, people who leave parties without saying goodbye save up to two days. I love this. The Irish goodbye. Saying goodbye to friends at parties may seem obvious, but it wastes a lot of time. Researchers at this Time Management Institute interviewed 2,000 Australians and finding out an average they go to 25 parties per year. From the moment we actually decided it was time to leave the party, it takes us an average 45 minutes to say goodbye. That means we spend an average of 18 hours and 45 minutes each year saying goodbye. The report found that those who say goodbye are forced into repeating the same excuses for leaving to multiple people. So why not just make an announcement, get a skywriter? You just leave. Say, all right, everybody, like one big goodbye. All right, you everybody, know, I'll see you later. Off. They walk say out you the didn't door. say goodbye, even though you left. Yeah. All right. So. No big deal. Save time. I got more, you know, it's, it's a lot of Now I got stats. Next. Jupiter's, Ju, Jupu, Jupiter's moon Europa. Europa may be hiding alien life under its icy shell. Oh, come on. Researchers at Stanford believe life could have evolved in the moon's shadow. Pockets of water near the surface. The findings come from an analysis of the symmetrical landforms called double ridges. They stretch for hundreds of miles. Ice penetrating radar observation, uh, observations captured the formation 
of the same type of geometrical feature in northwest Greenland. It's compelling evidence of potential uh, habitable environment. There's no way we can live out there, can we? No, we're not going to live out there, but there's a, you know, just the exciting potential of some sort of, you know, my, micro, maybe microscopic life form being there. Well, all, all he said is, Mucha um, Kaku, who's the smartest guy ever, he wrote that book about the future of everything, or I forgot the name of it. He says it's a terrible idea to get, get in touch with other cultures. I, th- we I think that was one of the best segments other- you ever did, especially when he brought up the Borg and you just didn't realize that was from Star Trek. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't really. Uh, I didn't watch a lot of Star Trek. Plus, it was it got its popularity after it left the air? That's true. Right, and it got mostly in syndication. Thanks so much for listening. Keep in mind, I'm going to be hosting a brand new show on Fox Nation, ready on Thursday, called "Who Is Elon Musk? Is he a genius or a huckster, a visionary, visionary or a villain? Who is Elon Musk?" On Thursday, Fox Nation. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.